Hi, I'm Daryl. And I'm Petros. And welcome to episode six of Getting Defoe You. From Heaven's Gate to the present day, join us as we get to know Willem Defoe in this dedicated Defoe podcast. Well, 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 Petros. We're over the halfway mark. Oof. Here we are. Here we here we are in the fully in the trenches by now, right? We're kind of up to our knees. Would you say where, where on the body are we are we up to in Defoe? I have relatively damp shins. Um, <laughs> they call me they call me damp shin Daryl down the allotments for all, for all this Defoe embarking that we're on now. So pretty wet. Not not quite in the knees yet. I think we're still at a, at a modest splish splash measurement level yeah. just i think in the grand scheme of things maybe we're not even that high we're ankle high right we're maybe we've got such a breadth of stuff to come as well we're, we're just we're just a drop in the ocean when we look at the i don't know, I, i'm very much looking at the macro of every uh, the micro of everything not looking at the macro because I, I think when we look at the how large of a journey we've got in front of us it's, it's breathtaking stuff do you know what i mean and that's what i'm looking monumental. at each step I take, as opposed to the end of the journey, it feels like stuff that could be on a poster. <laughs> <laughs> inspirational, <laughs> a on the inspirational Defoe quotes to quotes. We're just drops in the devotion at the moment. Um, <laughs> but, but 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 here we are coming up to episode six. You know, out of the uh, the murk and mire of the sexiness of body of evidence last week. Um, and into a bit of a historical uh, murder mystery drama, um, not one I'd heard of before in The Reckoning this week. But I think what's more notable about this movie than anything is uh, it is our first of the show wild card episode as well. So yeah. with the wild cards, you know, what... What the hell are we talking about here when we say wildcard, Petros? Well, th- this is a real peek behind the curtain of how we program each season of this podcast. So <laughs> we, we, we spend a lot of time thinking, deliberating. We want to make sure we've got something from each decade of his career. We want to make sure we've got something from the mainstream, from the underground. And then when we get to the wildcard pick, uh, envision this, as you will, listener. Just close your eyes and envision this. Literally like we do. Close your eyes. Mm-hmm. We have his IMDb up on the screen. We scroll up and down and we point our fingers to the screen. We take it in turns each season. So I believe this would have been a this would have been your pick, Daryl, this one. And uh, yeah. D- D- Daryl's finger is there on the screen. He opens his eyes and below his finger is the name of one film. And it's the reckoning for the, for, for for this for this season's pick. So yeah, it is. That's that's kind of how how in depth we get in with this wild card. It is literally pot fucking luck. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> very much so. You know, it could be a banger. It could be a clanger. You'll have to listen to the episode to find out. Uh, but we were joined by uh, the delightful Josh Hallam of the Just Films and that podcast for um, uh, a delightful chat about this movie. Uh, we cover lots of ground. We talk about, I just didn't know, we talk about uh, crab walks. We talk about the DVD. Uh, we even talk about Keith Chagwin. Uh, so you're going to want to, you're going to want to stay in tune for this one because it is an absolute uh, peach of a conversation that we get into. Yeah, this one's really for the '90s heads. This is for the. This is for a very specific demographic of 
middle of the table millennials who will have touch points of of nineties TV and stuff that you saw on TV that was an absolute fever dream, and you're unsure if you ever saw it at all. So there's plenty to kind of sink your teeth into, and for any international listeners, you will be absolutely dumbfounded by the stuff that we were programmed uh, on our TVs in, in our younger years. Uh, look, and obviously no spoilers, but I'll tell you this much. I know what I saw on Channel <laughs> 5. Uh, that will make a lot more sense as you listen to the episode. Hopefully. Otherwise, I'm going to sound like a, uh, I've just been awake from a nightmare throughout recording this. Uh, and i tell you what isn't a nightmare, though. What isn't a nightmare, uh, and is very much grounded in reality, is how you can reach out to the show and talk about all things to fight with us. Uh, Petros, where can the listeners find us well yeah if you want to if you want to get in touch and validate daryl that what he saw on channel five all those years ago (laughs) in fact did happen please reach out to us on twitter and instagram at defoe pod or drop us a little email which is defoe pod at gmail.com and whilst you're browsing on your phone Head on over to your podcatcher of choice and leave us leave us a five star rating and review. All of it helps. Be a de friend. Don't be a de foe. You heard the man loud and clear. And with that said, I think it's about time we get into this week's episode. It is the reckoning. We'll check back in at the end. But have a good one. It's a great old time. We'll catch you in a little bit. Ta-ta for now. Ta-ta. Getting to know you, getting to know all about Willem. Getting to like you by watching all your films. So this week we head to medieval England for the 2003 murder mystery drama The Reckoning. Now this week Defoe plays Martin, the leader of a troop of travelling actors who take in a priest on the run. Helping us to get to know Defoe a little better this week and see if this movie gets a standing ovation or is just acting silly is writer, film critic and host of the Just Films and That podcast. It's Josh Hallam. Josh Thank you so much for joining us this week. How the devil are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for for uh, for having me on. It's lovely to come on and talk about Willem. Yeah, that, that, yeah, it's great, great, great to be here. Thank you. <laughs> um, you you <laughs> are. I don't know why I did it like that. <laughs> it's like you are you are the priest that we found on the road. I am. Yeah. I was sleeping with a woman and uh, killed her husband or something like that. We're a couple of we're a couple of uh, wandering minstrels. Oh no, we're not minstrels. A couple of wandering actors in the woods. Indeed. Red, red, ready for for a new man. That's the best heron I've ever seen, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was certainly a film, wasn't it? It was certainly that. It was certainly a film. Birds <laughs> were absolutely disgust in this film. <laughs> but as always, when we get onto these films at the top of the episodes, we're always keen to know with our guests. Uh, how well do you know the foe, Josh? So, uh, what is your Defoe history? Do you know how many Defoes you've seen? Yeah, do you know what your was, first um, Defoe was. I was counting them up before coming on this and I think around 25 nice. I think I've seen That's around 25 to films is it the films is that what we're calling them the films so yeah no yeah no I, I'm a fan I think he's one of those he's one of those actors that if he's in something he sort of know it's going to be good he's like he's like uh, I don't know like a John Turturro or something like that where they, they turn mm-hmm. up and you're like oh good 
They're here. It's like that's, that's how I see him anyway. It's like, oh, good. A yeah. comfortable pair of acting hands. But at least <laughs> even if the film's not that good, he's here and he's watchable. So, so yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely a fan. You know, he's one of these guys, isn't he? He'll, he'll pop up as a little character performance and do 10 minutes, or he'll be the lead, or he'll be the villain, or, yeah. you know... The, the the hero's little mate or whatever he is so yeah i think he's i think he's brilliant i did um i don't want to brag but i did you know i did drama at uni that's fine whatever you know don't don't worry about it um and <laughs> he, we studied because he started in theater so we studied a little bit about his theater group which is the worcester group based out of soho new york Ooh. um they're like an audio visual group i believe so i knew a little bit about that in terms of my first defoe i think it was Probably Spider Man. Yeah, this, um, this, this, this is going to be hit that on your bingo yeah. cards, ladies and gentlemen. Guessing, we've got another, we've got yeah. another Spider Man in the mix. <laughs> I'm guessing I wasn't the first one to say that. I won't be the last. I suppose it depends on the age of the people you're interviewing. But you know, yeah, Spider Man was the first time I remember going to the cinema. I would have been eleven or twelve. Or coming away feeling like I'd like been on a ride. Like that was the first sure. time. I, you know, I remember coming away being like, I want to be Spider Man. You know, swish swish. <laughs> All that, where you know, so so, and he was a big part of that because he's a great villain. Which, when you look back at that film, it's a. Br- I still think it's a brilliant film. I still think it holds up. That costume's an interesting choice, though, isn't it? That green golden, yeah. that green golden costume. They sort of went. It was that period where they went, yeah, like everything's a motorcycle jacket. What? Yeah, no, everything. Everything's a motorcycle jacket. We can't give them costumes. Everything's a motorcycle jacket. And then <laughs> it was like X Men motorcycle jacket, Daredevil. Well, that's motorcycle jacket. It's red, isn't it? And then with him, they went, <laughs> Green Goblin. He's a motorcycle jacket, but uh, green. Um, so I was really glad they changed the costume for No Way Home, even though yeah. they just changed it to him. <laughs> um, yeah. So I thought, yeah, so that, that, was, that, was the, that was the first Defoe I saw, I think. Um, great performances I've seen him get. He's, 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 let's be honest, I think he is great as the Green Goblin in all the ones he's, he's in as the Green Goblin. I think he is on my own podcast. We, we did we did speed two and it was a sort of like is it really that bad type of job and um my sort of conclusion was yeah yeah it's pretty bad uh but that he was the best that he was the best thing in it because he's just chewing the fuck out the scenery having a great time basically playing the joker but without playing the joker uh and loving it and then another performance just of that i sort of know it before coming on was i don't know if you've covered it yet but i think he's particularly quite good in the florida project because it's it's not some yeah. it's not a role you'd think of him in straight away because I associate him with quite big performances but actually he's really good at those quite stripped back normal guy performances as well so he mm-hmm. he's, he's he's the sort of guy who could do a bit of everything you know he's definitely he definitely shines when he's playing a massive villain of some sort but at the same time he also he does do those sort of likable everyman characters quite well as well I think so mm-hmm. yeah so yeah definitely a fan of the foe a de fan yes and he's picked up the lingo as well ladies and gentlemen <laughs> Exactly, <laughs> exactly what we like to hear on the podcast. Now, in terms of uh, you know Defoe, got a broad range of films, and obviously, as we say on the podcast, we cover a bit of everything. Really, now this is probably one that I don't know that a lot of people may have heard of. But before we get into it, I think it is time to hand over to Petros for this week's De Facts and De Figures. Oh, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Have I got some lovely facts and figures for you today? This film is directed by Paul McGuigan and is written by Mark Mills based on the novel Morality Play by Barry Unsworth. 
the film stars Paul Bettany, Tom Hardy, Gina McKee, Brian Cox, Matthew McFadden, Vincent Cassell, and our boy, Willem Dafoe. It was released on the 6th of August 2003 in Sweden on DVD before getting a limited release in the US on the 5th of March 2004 and then hit our aisles in the UK on June 4th 2004. The budget for this film is a mystery. I searched high and low on the internet. Uh, nobody has, but uh, maybe it was a tax write-off. That's all I can uh, gather from the fact there's no budget anywhere. But the box office return was one million one hundred fifty-two thousand five hundred and twenty-eight dollars. I think it costs more than that. Uh, the IMDb score for this is six point five out of ten. Rotten Tomatoes is thirty-nine percent on eighty-nine reviews, with an audience score of fifty-six percent. The critic consensus for this: a talky, ponderous movie. That is that is a critic <laughs> consensus. Nothing more, nothing less than that. Uh, Our first Defoe sighting in this film is at nine minutes and two seconds. And his first line is, look away, look away. And then he shouts moments later, Stephen! And that is our the facts and the figures. Amazing stuff. So more specifically, The Reckoning, again, is about a priest on the run who joins a traveling band of actors who then discover a murder has occurred and try to solve it by recreating the crime in a play, which sounds like an ITV drama you've seen in 1995, which it kind of felt like that way watching it as well. But Josh, we would ask regarding The Reckoning, um, have Mm. you seen this one before? Was this a first time watch for you? It was, it, yeah, it was a first time watch. It absolutely does sound like a 1995 IT drama. I can imagine it having Robson Green in it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the king of I reckon it would have a lot of the same actors as well. I mean, like Matthew yeah. McFadden, yeah. Brian Cox, they all yeah, seem like yeah. they would have turned yeah. up in this. Other people from Succession. <laughs> um, have you, um, did you say then, Petros, that it came out on DVD? First, yeah, I don't, like, kind of like, looking at the release history of this, <laughs> it's kind of all up the wall. It, it's, it's listed in places, it says it's a 2002 film, which I imagined when it would, would have been made, but I don't know why it took so long to actually see the light just of day. A, it's just a planning department, tell you where this is first. <laughs> yeah. DVD in Sweden. That's where the that's where the big dollar is. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Should we put it in cinemas? Nah, DVD in Sweden. <laughs> no, no, so no, yeah, it was it was a first time watch, and let me say, I, I have just finished watching this about twenty minutes ago. It was no, no easy no. to find. No, no, it was no easy to find. Um, so yeah, I, I ended up having to go old school and buy the DVD oh. rather than rather than watch it on streaming because <laughs> well, I couldn't find. The streaming thank you anywhere. for your commitment to the cause. Ah, we yeah. must ask you about your DVD. I'm not sure if you have it to hand. Uh, well, it was it was only Defiver. Oh, lovely from yes. from De Amazon. But yeah, so yeah, so I've just literally just finished watching this about an hour and forty five, isn't it? So so yeah, straight through making notes, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. Yeah, first time watch, first time watch. I mean, also, more pressingly, um, send me your bank details so I can reimburse you. (laughs) 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 I feel tremendous guilt. But to be fair, we've all paid a fiver for our respective DVDs of this one. 15 quid this film's out of us. I know. There's... 
whoever the production company is on this, that terrifying image of that like baby in that production still at the start, Renaissance films. Oh, disgusting. Mm. Disgusting people. I actually took a photo of that and put it on my socials because I was like, that's a weird ident for a production company, isn't it? And like, mm. I, I kind of want the uh, never mind baby thing where you, we, we, we get we, we get to see who that baby is now. Do you know what I mean? Or like a, an article where it's like, did you know the Teletubbies baby is now a, a parent of them of their own? And it kind of blows our minds. What, what happened to the Renaissance baby? Yeah. And I've never seen that production no. company before. So is is it attacked right <laughs> off? Do you know what I mean? Well, this, <laughs> is, this is the question about these production companies. Cause one of the um, recurring questions I sort of had on uh, my other Cage podcast, because he has a production company of his own called Saturn Films, you can't find shit about their company online. So I know deep down that Cage is a criminal, but I can't. I don't have the stones to face it. <laughs> Uh, I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing out there that suggests that Nicholas Cage has had any tax problems or anything like that. So I don't clean see bill of health, baby. To... Clean bill of health. <laughs> Absolutely hasn't done loads of films for tax purposes. But anyway, what I what I love about this conversation is it's always mirroring the film. Right, we've kind of come to discuss this film, and immediately we're uncovering a dark, seedy mystery with mm. Renaissance films and the fact that this yes. film may just be. A kind, uh, yeah, a dirty tax write-off to to shift DVDs <laughs> in Sweden. In Sweden, yeah, and and, cre- and 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 literally create a nepo baby, which is the Renaissance Films baby, <laughs> blowing it wide open. We are the Woodward and Bernstein of podcasting right now. This is turned serial, baby. <laughs> That's what we do. We we get down to the nitty gritty. We say we cover the the highs and the lows in all the films of Defoe, and B that are also in covering crimes of our own. I, f- I feel almost to keep with the vibe of the DVD release, we'll have to release our answers to Sweden first, and then we'll reveal the answer to this one in like two years, like in season four or something, and tell the people what we actually found. But you know, a, a certainly a film I'd not heard of before. Um, I think it got slightly shadowed over um, or under, I should say. That Finding Nemo also came out this year. So if we had, anyone else was talking Defoe movies, they were probably talking about him as Gil in Finding Nemo. Mm. Why would you know want to know what he's doing, sort of prancing around in the woods? Um, which, to my notes, you know, jumping ahead slightly here, but when we see Defoe, he's basically wearing like the the bat nipple costume. <laughs> <laughs> He is. He is wearing the bat nipple costume. Like I saw that costume and I was like, "Okay, right. Let's. Uh, what do you got for me here, Defoe?" And between that and you know, I think let's you know jump into Defoe's performance straight away. Between him wearing basically the bat nipple costume and doing backwards crab handstands, incredible physicality in this film. That was a highlight. The invisible, the the, the backwards handstands, uh, the backwards crab walk thing was a real mm. a real highlight for me in this because. Doesn't need to be in there. It's just there, isn't it? He's obviously gone. I, I've got an idea of something I'd like to do. Right, okay. What is it? Backwards crab walk. Okay, yeah. Put it in. Yeah, he's like, oh, when, me and the Wooster group, but sometimes just uh, to really get into the physicality of the character. So I feel like this guy would would, would prepare by doing these handstands in, in the barn to get ready. That's the handstands. Yeah. I like to imagine he got pitched the movie and went, it sounds like an interesting movie, but can I walk like a crab? <laughs> and they said, "Yeah, sure, do whatever you want." Uh, you would say, "Like, will you sign on for less money if we let you do that?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> 
you know, we, we you sort of touched on it, Josh, obviously, with um, uh, bringing up the Wooster group earlier as well. And I was, uh, me and Petros, but having a, a brief sort of overview in this when we sort of uh, messaging each other on WhatsApp. We sound like, you know, he's they're all doing these performances. They're this traveling group of actors go from town to town. They're on the way to Durham, baby. But they're doing all these performances. And it kind of seemed like um, an excuse for a lot of the actors to do acting within acting kind of thing. And with Defoe, mm. like, he's doing that crazy kind of angular handstand. He's walking like a crab. He's lying down and, being, you know, very theatrical. And we said, I think this guy's probably putting his Worcester group uh, skills to hard work here. Now, Josh, I think you may or may not be an actor of some description, um, uh, but... <laughs> You, when you're when you're watching this all going on, were you kind of like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, acting, acting, yeah, <laughs> just like that, hands together. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, actors love to play actors. They love it. Mm. They love it. They love a bit of meta. They love a little wink and a nod. Well, we know all actors are wankers, but we're actors playing wankers, which means we're not wankers. They are. <laughs> um, I'm not an actor of some repute. I did it. Did it at university. I've done a little bit. I've dabbled, but I've never would never call myself an actor or anything like that. Look, for me, he's one of the highlights of of this film. I'd say you know it's it's a it's a fairly average film. With this is my take on it, with some good ideas in it, but it's certainly elevated by the performances of the cast. Lots of whom have gone on to bigger and better things. I mean, I've got here at least like three or four of them are probably like household names now, whereas at the time of this, they wouldn't have been. Mm. Sure. Um, so you got Tom Hardy, Matthew McFadden and uh, Paul Bettany, probably Vincent Cassell as well to some extent. And, and Willem Dafoe would have been more known than them, which is definitely why he's got top billing or second billing when he's not actually in it that much. And I thought he was one of the highlights of it. I think he's great. Like you say, a completely pointless backwards crab walk, but great physicality. Really, really enjoyed it. I actually thought he was a little bit underused. I thought he could have been used more. In sure. it. He's very likable. He's very watchable. There are scenes that he is in in this where you think, that'd be rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> it was sort of, there's a bit where the whole thing with the, you know, a, a, young, a little boy, they say a little boy, when they see the body, dude's about 18. <laughs> um, anyway, but they, so they say a little boy's been murdered and they're, they're framing a local woman for doing it, saying that she did it for some, like a bag of coin or something that he had on him. And uh, she is is a is she a deaf mute or just a mute or mute? Yeah, I, th I think Simon Pegg yeah, of all people. Like, ah, she's yeah. deaf and dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, Simon Pegg comes along and you're like, oh, Simon Pegg's in there. There's, there's loads of that yeah. in this though. You're like, there's a bit where they go and you're like, is that Julian yes. Barrett? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like they went, who's who's about? <laughs> like wherever yeah, you and Bremner just turns up as a monk for a little yeah. bit. Yeah, Spud's there. Yeah, Mark <laughs> Benton as well. Like he's kind of pops yeah. up in a lot of stuff. He's he's the sheriff. It's kind of like, well, we did nothing wrong. We did nothing wrong. <laughs> um, so there, the, the scene where he's talking to the, the the woman who's the mute, he's sort of working out what she's trying to say as she's given her account of why she didn't murder this um, young. Uh, young child who's an 18 year old man and and he is working out what she's saying based on sort of this made up sign language she's doing because I don't think it's real sign language she's trying to sort of gesticulate what yeah. went on isn't she and I was watching that scene like this if this that was a less likable charismatic, charismatic actor that'd be shite <laughs> but actually it was okay like like that scene was probably the most he had to do in a scene it was a lot of that was on him whereas a lot of a lot of the other scenes are on Paul Bettany or it's more of an ensemble sort of job mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So yeah, I thought that I thought he really made that scene work because he is so watchable and likable. Well that that scene feels like almost like a 
drama class like activity right like try and convey a story yeah. by just movements and stuff like make yeah. make up this kind of like yeah, it's, like, it's like a game of charades essentially isn't it like yeah. <laughs> yeah. like four words four words me no murder little boy <laughs> <laughs> little 18 year old boy <laughs> it's like um bald bad man hide coin me good uh, Willem Dafoe, did you say crab? And then he crab walks for her. <laughs> I think this film, and I, I think this film needed more crab walking. I think more films need yeah. more crab walking. To be fair, definitely. I think I definitely would have brought something to it. Any film that he's in, The Florida Project, I'd love a bit of that. The one where he's Vincent Van Gogh, that yeah. one. <laughs> Eternity's yeah. gay. Yeah, come on. All over. He, he always looks like because he's incredibly lithe. And sinewy, yeah. isn't he? And he clearly keeps himself in good nick. He think he, I think he's sort of famously a big advocate of things like yoga and meditation and stuff like that. Which is, and he clearly looks great for it. But he always looks like he's the sort of guy who's definitely got a cigarette burning off screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, <laughs> and it's like, and there's just a, there's just a runner with an ashtray and a cigarette burn. He's like, cut, give me that. Yeah. <laughs> How else do you get That's that voice? <laughs> Even finding Nemo, all of them. <laughs> cigarette off screen at all time. Give me that. A, have you got the cigarettes on the budget? Come, come on, Andrew Stanton. I need, I need, I need the fags to play Gil. Come on, I need, I need, I need, I need smoke. I like it if in, in Finding Nemo they didn't even cut it out. He's just like, okay, shark bit. <laughs> <laughs> Like, how are you smoking in the water? It's, yeah. ma- it's magic, baby. Give me a snorkel. I'll smoke through the snorkel. It will work. <laughs> you ever seen, oh, ever seen a fish do a crab walk, Nemo? <laughs> Got no arms and legs. I can do it, though. I can do it. Floats upside down, dies. You, you um, know how I got this bad? You know how I got this bad fin? It was doing a crab walk, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, um, I, I, I want to know what was your... To the group, we'll start with you, though, Josh. Like, What, what was your initial thoughts on the group of actors? Because obviously when we first see them, they're kind of just like little flits of these people through, through the trees as Paul Bettany's kind of stumbling about mm. in the woods. What did you think, obviously not knowing much about this film? Did you think they were... Some kind of satanic cult, they or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was. I thought we had a bit of like an eyes wide shut situation, or a Da Vinci Code situation, or something like that. And it's it's a strange one, isn't it? Because like you say, it starts and it feels. You feel like all right, this is going gaudy. This is going religiousy. Mm, yeah. Because obviously he's a monk or a priest, and they like you say they seem to be doing a satanic ritual, and then they write it off by going. I's uh, well, he'd not been very well for a couple of days, so he, he asked us to kill him. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've just, just, just had a cold. Um, you know, we've all, you know, we've all had colds and shit like that. Have you ever been like, listen, I have had this bug for two days now, so could you please stab me today? <laughs> that's that's the forty nine. That that's the that's the thirteen hundreds, though, right? It's like. Well, yeah, it's the dark, yeah, whatever it is, the dark ages, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. The plague's knocking um, about. It's like, it's got the sniffles, right? That's it. End the man's life. Yeah. Imagine imagine going out with your son stabbing you to death with a big bat nipple costume on. But yeah, so so that scene, I was a little bit like, yeah, is it a bit, is it a bit culty? Is it a bit 
is it a bit of something weird going on? What's going on here? And then it's like, oh no, we're actors. And then, and it's such a strangely structured film because the main issue doesn't happen till 45 minutes in. Yeah. Yeah. I, sure. I looked at it and then they're like, oh, this young boy's been killed. It wasn't her. And there's a guy killing young boys, young 18 year old men. And I was like, this is halfway through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like half of this film has been him meeting those actors and getting to some depressing town and putting on a pla- like they are essentially like the oliver stone of like uh playwrights in the fact that like, a disaster has happened and you may be like oh why, why talk about oliver stone here because oliver stone made world trade center in 2005 literally four <laughs> years after the world trade center was was were destroyed and they're like literally this is this is happening they, they i had the same I, I imagine the townspeople there had that same feeling that we all had like in may 2020 when that trailer came out for a film called songbird which was literally about like a lockdown i'm not sure if you remember that though mm. like, got kind of produced by michael bay and it's about like a kind of virus going it was basically covid action movie and i was like how the fuck have they got this into production and made this movie so quickly? And it's like... Yeah, there was a, there was a TV drama with Stephen Graham and Jodie Comer on last yeah. year called... I think it was just called Help. And I remember trying to watch it because I like both of those actors and obviously it seemed like it would be quite prestigious and good or whatever. And I remember watching it and thinking, I've just been through all this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so soon. But I also I remember the trailer for World Trade Center coming out and thinking, no, it's not. That's not. Oh. It is. It is the it's twin towers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> it's it's mad. Yeah. As soon as the second tower was hit, Stone went straight for his pen and paper and is like, "Oh, I've got it. I've got this one down." He he <laughs> erected from his crab walk like Dracula coming out his coffin. <laughs> Him and yeah, Paul Greengrass is there. Like, I got an idea for a movie, baby. United ninety three. We're on the plane. We're on the plane that got away. It's like, really, really, we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also the the whole idea in this they, they seem to suggest in this film that that group of actors invented a type of story that was telling an, an event that wasn't some sort of biblical parable or wasn't a story from history as in let's tell a story let's make a play without a script and let's make it about something that's recently happened i'm like i'm not being funny but like ancient greece and R- ancient rome had that <laughs> rolling in their graves yeah <laughs> they're all like hang on don't be taking credit for us they wouldn't be saying it in english because they'd, they'd be speaking latin but but yeah so so i was i thought that was quite funny hey hang on what about um what about making a film that's uh, what about making a play that's about something that's happening right now yeah we definitely thought of that for the first time <laughs> well, well, that's the thing. I see they they they're on the way to um uh, to Durham to perform for um some king or landed gentry or something. Um, and then they have to pit stop at this town because a bridge is out. And then they're an actor down, so they take on Nicholas, played by Paul Bettany. And then when they enter, that whole trial is going on. Um, it's like, yep, she did it. She killed the boy. And then Defoe at the back is just rubbing his hands together. It's like. I smell a sitcom, baby. (laughs) (laughs) The kids' parents are there. They're like, like, look at it. That's fine. That is, yeah. We'll we'll just, um, we'll just upset them. Well, this is this is the thing. They 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 make the play for the purpose of that. They need coin for to fix their car and to bury their friend who they who they killed. Make no mistake. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I, I think if I ever get a flu for longer than three days, then I hope someone puts me down as well. It's just not worth it. Just <laughs> On not a worth. Zoom call, gathered you all here because I would like one of you, my closest friends, to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I've sent you all clues in the post as to my location. <laughs> the, fir- the first... I will meet you at a service station in the middle of all of our houses. First one to, to the service station gets to kill me. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Geohacking, baby. To the M25. A game is afoot. Um, <laughs> it's the sequel to it's Rat Race and Knives Out. Worlds combined. The film that we all want, baby. Yes, Rat Knives. That's... The Daryl Edge story. Rat knife. The Daryl Edge story. Well, obviously they they put the play together for the sake of coin, but that was the thing. Though I did find it like interesting because they do the biblical. I think it's like the Adam and Eve play that they do first, but no one gives a shit about the play. There's just no interest in it. And then the foe's like, um, "You remember that boy that just died? You're gonna want to see this." <laughs> and then the parents come along and they're like, "Yeah, this sounds like a great night out." What a way to spend a night in 1380 England. Woohoo. And then it's it's only after... I think it's just this sort of implied thing that the whole sort of town, village, knows more than they're able to let on. Uh, but they suggest in the play that, that the boy was um, a lord and the woman was some kind of temptress. But they say of the 18-year-old boy um, that he's too pure of spirit and he, he wouldn't have uh, skipped along merrily into the woods with that witch. So did, did, did you find it like just... I don't, like I said, it takes like a long time to sort of get to the meat and potatoes of, you know, as the, you know, we talk about the DVD, the dark mystery of uh, the reckoning. Like, I suppose, Josh, did you did you think that the mystery should have been more prevalent than this? I th- yeah, I, th- I think so. Listen, it's got a great cast. There's some good performances in there. There's some good ideas around, like the sort of you know implication of theatre and and you know the use of good and evil and thematic stuff like that. But yeah, that mystery. It's almost like it can't decide, is it about him running away or is it about them trying to solve that mystery? Because it's like the first half is him running away from uh, killing someone's husband and the second half is he he develops so much more of an attachment mm. to that case for a guy who's just wandered into a village. He's just so... He literally dies to solve <laughs> that case and absolve that woman. He's got no attachment to it. He's just like, it's not right, this. Not right. What? Like, he, like, imagine him as a police officer every case. He'd just be, he'd be knackered. <laughs> Stabbed again. He's too invested. You're too invested, Paul. <laughs> You're too I, close I, to the case, Paul. <laughs> I guess his thing is, he's trying to absolve himself for his own sins, right? And I love the I kind of... So, yeah. I, I, I love the, the way we get to see that he's this right horn dog. Not just, like, in those kind of opening moments, we get the flashes of him kind of rolling in the hay with this woman. I'm not sure if either mm. of you picked up on this, but, like, as he's kind of giving a sermon to his flock, he notices a woman, like, breastfeeding and looks like... Yeah. He's, like, proper, like, like, rubbing his thighs. Like, like he might as well be like, whoa, fuck it, I'll whip it. Whip the other one out for me, baby. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. <laughs> also, are you doing that in church? Well, like I got no, I got no issue with it. But back in the day, would like as in I have no issue with anything like that now. But we're talking about the 1300s. If a woman did that, would people not be like, sorry, 
what in the house of God? Like people would absolutely <laughs> kick off. Surely. The devil's memory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> people got, you know, from my very vague and likely incorrect knowledge of the 14th century, I feel like people probably got hung for a lot less than breastfeeding a kid in jail. Yeah, breast. Yeah, you know, hashtag whip out a titty for Jesus. I don't know. Um, <laughs> 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 so yeah, so he's he's proper horny for that mama. His own the girl, the other girl is there, isn't she? Mm. And he then like yeah, they're they're banging in the hay and all that. And then he runs away and thinks, I know, I'll cut off my monkly locks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, no one will know who I am. It's a very defining characteristic. No one will know who you are anyway. Just get far enough away. This is the 1300s. Like you're not gonna get like picked up on Uber. <laughs> yeah, the jo- yeah the. <laughs> Yeah, the joy, the joys no, of the... No, there's no fucking photos of any, any of you. It's like, no, he's just thinking back to that time that a, an artist came to town. He's like, oh, the, there may be a scribbling of me somewhere with this I, fine bowl I, cut. I, oh, just like, oh, shit, I am on the bay. Yeah. I've got that big bowl cut, well, so people will see me. thinking, well, it's going to take him about three months to sew a tapestry of me, but... I'm going to look like every other fucking monk. Nondescript, white, bowl haircut. Like You're off the hook. No one's going to know who you are. And then he he, he runs off, because obviously he's, he's... Even in the house of God, I think it's the power of the bowl haircut, because he's the difference in his horniness level on a scale of 1 to 10, like, he's up to, like, a sweaty 12 at the start of the movie with that bowl haircut. Mm. When he shaves that off, he drops down to at least a 7. Mm. Samson and Delilah, baby. Do you know what I mean? All the horn, all the horniness was in that hair. Whip that hair off. His superpower's gone. He's no longer. He's repulsive to women. I like the idea that he's, he runs back to the woman, and he's like, "Come with me. Let's escape together." She sees his hair. Is like, nah. Yeah, um, nah. I like you with a bowl hair, cut. The hair's gone. Uh, I'm all right. <laughs> it's like that hair was. You know, that's so 1355. <laughs> <laughs> what what the fuck? There are tapestries, man, and I've seen them. You know, you need to get with the times. <laughs> Just devastated. I, I I had a tapestry on my loom of you with that bow haircut. Now you're now you're just a a pale bald freak. <laughs> That what I mean. What did what did you guys think of it? Like generally speaking, about I thought thing? you were about his haircut. <laughs> what do you think about? So his, I, I think <laughs> I had that in the nineties. About the time, <laughs> I think as we all did, we all had a bowl haircut back then. Yeah, that's yeah, that's your classic year three haircut right there. <laughs> I miss it fondly every day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought, I guess, just broadly speaking, just looking at the film, when and obviously we, we've we've touched upon them all, but like, what a stacked cast this is. Obviously, as we, we've said, like a lot of them. Of course, we're not as known to the to the level that we know them today. But I thought I think the film probably tried to say a bit too much about you know life and death and morality and philosophy mm. and try and shoehorn that um, isn't acting the most important thing. Like we need acting to shine a light on the on the nonces of the world. And it's like yes, give me you true the musical you you bloody fools i think he tried to do a bit too much like i thought some parts of the mystery were interesting i think why the, the mystery kind of lost some steam for me is that it, it, i don't know if i want to say signposted so much but it does just seem quite obvious that it's gonna be mm. lord de guise who's done it mm. can only be him yeah it? because he 
obviously this is something I want to sort of throw out there about De Guise as well being the villain of the piece, but it's only in like the last, I don't know, what is it, 10 minutes or so when he gets confronted about like um, his proclivities. But he spends most of the movie just peeping out a window. He's just... Yeah, sending guards. He's a leerer. All he does is leer. And then you sort of think, well, you probably did it. And then he, yeah. did, and then, and then he, <laughs> you know, and then he does it flagrantly. And then in, in a ten-minute scene, goes, "No, I didn't do it. Oh, I did. Yeah, I did. So <laughs> <laughs> the worst episode of Columbo that yeah. you've seen. Well, yeah, and he's, <laughs> he, he basically does the like, and you know what? I would do it again. Like, all I kept thinking about any time anyone said his name was like, it sounded like a French person who's like really gotten into Cockney culture. Like it's the geese, like do you know what I mean <laughs> the geese. Like. I know, I know that character is based on a real guy uh-huh. who 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 apparently did a similar thing of you know murdering murdering little boys and and all sorts of horrendous stuff like that. So I don't know, maybe something to be said about that. But like you say, he spends the whole thing just being just sort of looking out his castle window, being like, look at my little village that has twenty five people in it. <laughs> <laughs> And they all know that I killed that boy. And, and it's, yeah, you, <laughs> they're all related. Yeah, like again, like, I kind of wish there was. I don't know really. Like, if I wish there was more or less of him, because all the, kind of the way the film presents it, all you need to know about De Guise is that he is the lord of this place. Um, there is, uh, is it the king's justice who? Yeah, so it's like the king's right hand man who would go around execute people for the king, being the king's voice. Mm in matters of justice sort of thing, wasn't it? That's what he'd be doing. And he's just there. Just knocking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's yeah. just there. Yeah, what, what are you doing here? No, just like working it. Well, it's, it's that thing, isn't it? It's like, because <laughs> we get that moment and it's quite it's quite a, it's quite funny because it's almost like, it's got like 90s thriller vibes to it of that thing of like, he kind of comes in almost like, what the fuck are you doing, man? I was running this case. Like, he's like the FBI being like, this local <laughs> cop's, this local cop's trying to, trying to run on my patch i was i was was, this case was going to be blown wide open and you've just killed off one of the suspects like it's it's like when he goes that we know about others (laughs) (laughs) building up the cat which building up the facts baby they they seem to imply um i think it's when nicholas has the conversation with with the king's uh justice that the justice too there's like the justice and minor justice whatever his name is i don't think he gets a name in the film but they know what he's up to and they know that Mm. he's planning um like a rebellion or to overthrow the king but they can't do anything about it because reasons i don't know i don't know if they if they said officially why they couldn't do anything about it but they're just kind of like or or what evidence there was that he was doing planning an uprising with his village of little of 25 people (laughs) 20 of them are guards (laughs) for him Yeah, there's that because the, his little mate, the, the, the other king's justice, he's like uh, he has like a, the little slappy fight with the foe, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> he has that little the, the little sort. Of, what are you doing? <laughs> like that bit, like and then and then they all have a little chat. That's just how Jumpman solved their problems. 20, there's just that twenty minutes of like, oh, here's all the ex- exposition. It's <laughs> <laughs> all the stuff you need to know at the end. Well, they. Obviously, they get they get really locked into sort of solving the case. And I think, like you said, Petros, it's kind of like not explicitly it's stated stated, but I suppose a lot of it is um, that Nicholas is probably latched onto this to use it to find some sort of redemption, mm. be that for himself or in the eyes of gods. And then it's kind of like any time they sort of get a lead, uh, well, they speak to that monk 
and then the monk gets killed. So that's the one bit of evidence gone. Who was it Martin spoke to? Was that supposed to be like the, the, the mute woman's... Dad. Yeah, yeah. Was it the, was yeah, it the yeah. dad? Yeah, yeah. Renton's dad train spotting that guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's in Game Game of Thrones as well, isn't he? I think most of the actors in this ended up in Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Played, it's like Game of Thrones. Defoe <laughs> played the throne, as you'll remember. <laughs> Willem Cigarette De- off screen. <laughs> Come here, sit on me. Willem de Throne. <laughs> <laughs> the most famous throne in TV series history. But yeah, yeah. So he, yeah, he's he's her because he's her dad, and he's a bit like good riddance to her. Yeah. And then don't they say something like, "But she didn't do it." And he's like, "Yeah, well, <laughs> it's thirteen <laughs> what? Why, what? why do you want your daughter yeah. to be home? Weird, isn't she? Weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just doesn't talk. Not very chatty at the dinner table. Just, he's just around the dinner table going. Ooh. What is it? It's like, what, Long day. One step away from going. Will you live with her then? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there implications as well that she she's like some kind of like biblical healer as well? Like she's like, been yeah, or some sort of cultist yeah, or something. Yeah, she's yeah, been. They, they they find that evidence and they said she's been off healing people, which is kind of the only time it's brought up. I think when he's presenting the evidence at the end mm. that she wasn't at the house. Well, the evidence they get is that um, they take her word for it that she wasn't. Well, word in air quotes. They take her gesture that she wasn't at the house. Someone says that she's a healer, and that mm. she's. He's, she's providing like a vital service to the people and the other one is that the boy's body was already in rigor mortis um, so he'd been dead well, yeah. for like longer than before they found him well no 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 he hadn't been because we get we get Chekhov's knowledge about rigor mortis in this film <laughs> and it seems like the only reason that old member of their crew died was for this specific reason to show that Nicholas had this information because they're like getting his body out of the cart and they'll be like oh it's, he was stiff as a board the other day and he's like oh well after a few days the body goes limp and like heavy again like the stiffness goes away so it's yeah the whole the, the whole crux of the twist and the plot and all that is based on on nicholas's knowledge of rigor mortis this is not a time of science yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he stood in front of all of them and was like and i'll tell you another thing the stiffness and limpness of the body and they're all like oh yeah yeah this guy knows what he's talking he might as well be going and i'll tell you another thing blah 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 blah, blah. and then like they could just be like did you hear him say blah 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 like it doesn't they wouldn't know what the fuck he's talking about i'm sure it's a horn dog it's, it's like it's like when um chris witty you know guy who knew the best or whatever it was or patrick uh the, the other guy talking about covid and everyone was like well my cousin's dog's groomer works at the nhs and they say Fucked. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, masks, wear masks. Well, do they work though? Yeah. Because <laughs> he's telling you they do. Coming up on the next slide, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, according to a quick Google search, and again, this is a very quick Google search, so I don't know how accurate this is, but apparently the first scientific description of rigor mortis wasn't published until 1811. So we, we were like a good 450, 500 years off rigor mortis. So I think this film has been an absolute bust on that basis <laughs> it's rigor naughty isn't it do you know what I mean it's... yeah I, 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 I'm sure the horn dog that Nicholas is he knows all about stiffness doesn't he he's like oh, he's, 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 I'll show you some stiffness I'll show you some rigor mortis that's what he's saying to the, the women of his congregation you want some rigor mortis come over to my place baby <laughs> 
I'll let you run your hand through the bowl, <laughs> which I think would have been one of the great pickup lines of our time. <laughs> Sort of side side note, one of something I wanted to circle back to before I forget, because obviously you know the plot does does what it does. Uh, one something I wanted to circle back to quickly is is anyone, and presuming I'll preface this by presuming all of the cast, all the the characters I should say in this are based in England of some description. Can anyone pin down? Where the fuck Defoe's accent was meant to be? Because my notes say Willem de Finglish. <laughs> I think he's a little bit Willem de Finglish, Willem, Willem de Firish. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Like, because I was, I was like, so I didn't want, I was like, is this isn't about criticising him, right? But I was like, the fuck is that accent? Oh, well, we take the rough yeah. of the smooth. You criticise the man all you right, want. It, it's, listen, he's a very fine actor. I've never heard him do accents really. Even in Aquaman, he's like, "Nah, New Jersey." That's what it's like. It's like, oh, he's an underwater warrior. He's trained Aquaman to like, you know, be Aquaman and stuff like that. Where's he from? New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you where he's from. All right. Um, and, and in this, it, it's the first time I've ever heard him do an accent. And there are some actors. I think it's a mixture of he's got such an iconic voice. He's also got quite a strong accent. Yeah, yeah, sure. So it's always, it, you know, it's hard to do an accent when you've already got an accent. Quite often, it, it's hard to shake. And in this, unfortunately, because it's set in the 1300s, like, you know, obviously there's times when people do accents, you're like, oh, just be from where yeah, you're Yeah, from. yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd rather. Yeah. But in this, you yeah. can't, can he? So, so it's like, well, what do you do? Because his accent isn't great. And it's almost like, it, 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 there's a bit of Costner in Prince of Thieves, isn't there, about it? Starts... And obviously, films aren't all often aren't shot in chronological order. But at the start of the film, it feels like he's trying, and then eventually, it's like that. <laughs> but I don't think he's the only one committing like sins of like voice. I think like what is what is Tom Hardy doing with his voice? Do you know what I mean? Like he 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 just sounds like to, like I don't know, like a young Tom Hardy. Do you know what I mean? Like not not yeah, like, he's just doing generic Norman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then, because at points, Paul Bettany feels like he's doing generic Northern because obviously he's quite well spoken because mm-hmm. he's or, or whatever, and it feels like they're all trying to do generic Northern. Apart from Gina McKee, who is from the North, I think they're all. So you got Willem Dafoe; he's the only American that I could think of in the cast. Tom Hardy, London. Paul Bettany, London. Who else have you got in Bri- there? Brian Cox is just doing. Brian he's Cox, doing theatre actor. Summer. It's just doing theatre actor, yeah. isn't he? He's, <laughs> he's, <laughs> He's pissing out. At one point, he's dressed as Darth Maul from Star Wars. <laughs> he's, he's absolutely having a time of his life being curmudgeonly theatre. At one point, he goes, this 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 profession used to be respected. And it's like, mate, this is the 1300s. You get into 35, you're already 20 years older than <laughs> I would have got to. You're escaping <laughs> the plague. Like, fucking take, yeah. take your shillings and be happy with it. <clears throat> But yeah, the accent for accent, it's not a good Defa accent. No, no Defa accent. Love that. That's going in the show notes. <laughs> it, it was an interesting one. Like, I couldn't place it. It seemed to be like just a bit of everywhere. Like, William Defoe, he's just like, and yeah, a cup of tea, governor. <laughs> Indecipherable indecipherable accent speaking of tom hardy though obviously i um was looking on letterboxd earlier just to out of interest what some people were rating this movie a lot of people did bring up tom hardy in this my favorite and i'll you know i'll forego saying the the name of the review but it was a one and a half star review and said simply this and i quote bruv 
I was just here for Twink Tom Hardy. I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> I love it when people follow an actor's career and don't like it when they do something. I want you to be good, but like, I want you to be what I want you to be. Yeah. Like every now, like about every 10 years, Tom Cruise comes out and tries to do like a good performance that's not just action blockbuster. And everyone's like, whoa, whoa. Stay in your lane, Tom. Yeah, don't uh, don't don't broaden the role. I need it nice yeah. and narrow. I need you um, as just like the black and white photo of you like taking a drag from like a cigarette. I need that very specific 2018 picture of Tom Hardy. Nothing else. It's like, and actually, Tom Hardy, how dare you be younger and try and get your foot <laughs> on the acting ladder? How dare you not just be immediately famous and beautiful and brilliant? There's not one single actor who hasn't done some mad shit films or theatre or TV. Like, most of them have done the bill, casualty, all that sort of stuff, to get to where they need to go. Yeah. Earn, earning your stripes as a as a body in stretcher on, you know, Holby or... Um... <laughs> exactly. I once heard an actor, I think it was Stephen Graham, say something like, you know, postman doesn't choose which letters to deliver. You need to eat and work. Yeah, like, until you are that multi-millionaire actor, which obviously less than 1% of actors gets to be, you, you just take the work. You mm. can't be looking at work being like, oh, what if I'm Venom in 30 years? <laughs> <laughs> well, people are going to take the piss out of me for this. That's why every time someone's on Graham Norton, they're like, oh, look at this clip that I found, that some researcher found, that I found... And we're going to show it. And the, the actor... Oh. Yeah, I don't think Tom Hardy has to God. worry about this, though. Have you, found, um, have you found that? Oh, so embarrassing, <laughs> even though you ran it past my team before I came. Yeah, on. Tom Hardy doesn't have to worry <laughs> about this, though. Tom Hardy has, like... If anything, have you ever seen the clip of Tom Hardy on The Big Breakfast <laughs> strutting around in a pair of pants? <laughs> For the listeners, Daryl is looking perplexed. And, and, and You don't know that, Daryl? Well, it brings a bell, but I wasn't much of a breakfaster. Um, yeah, you know, you I, just can't stand Denise Van Outen, can you? He said that. Well, you, you don't want people life. high on cocaine <laughs> at eight in the morning either, do you? That's what you don't. <laughs> it want. was a lot. It was yeah. a lot that show, wasn't it? It's like, oh god, just get up for school. <laughs> morning. <laughs> <laughs> zig and zag was definitely code for like coke, wasn't it? You got the zig and zag in, yeah. Let's get a couple of lines of the zig and zag on the go, Jamie. It's like, but it's, kids TV was the same, wasn't it? Now. Just stick some fucking YouTube on and shut up. Honestly, I want to be on my own. The kids, whereas back when we were kids, it was like Gunge, everyone's Gunge, fucking Gunge, Collars, you're against your school teacher. Fuck the teachers. <laughs> <laughs> it was like this is a lot. This is a lot to take in. Well, it's, it was just the differences, you know. On one channel, you solved your issues with Gunge, and then on the other, you shook hands with your enemies and snorted line off a toilet with them, and then went live at eight in the morning on Channel Four. <laughs> And then, you know, far up in the distance, we had uh, Channel <laughs> 5, which did... And no one remembers mm. this. And, it, and I swear to Christ, it was this was not a fever dream. And I don't know why this is, like, inspired to bring it up. Does anyone remember Naked Jungle with Keith Chegwin? Does, <laughs> does anyone remember this? I did not make this up. <laughs> channel 5, you wanted to be, like, um, this edgy sort of late-night channel. And... They had this game show called Naked Jungle where it was presented by a naked Keith Chegwin. I saw this as a boy and it's been burnt into my retinas for over 20 years. This exists. It's real. If you Google Naked no. Jungle Keith Chegwin, this is a real thing that happens. 
they had a quiz show called the hundred percent which is like you had to answer a hundred questions so if you got the most right goes on to the next show then for some reason they had a nighttime version of that where the contestants were just naked <laughs> i didn't make this up this this is this is my dark mystery that i've been trying to solve like did i have a stroke when i was a boy how long have I been in a coma I, for? I, I, I've got one of those that's not on TV with, with, with my mates. We all went to different schools and we met, we met through you know, outside of school. That's, that's how we're friends. And I always go, oh, does, does anyone remember the chocolate game? And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I've never been able to get to the end of explaining the rules because they all go, you're making this up. But we had a game at my school where there'd be a, you'd sit in a circle at parties, not just in the playground, but at school discos and stuff. You'd sit around a big bar of chocolate, you'd roll the dice, and if you got a six, the person who rolled the six had to put on a hat, gloves, scarf, and eat the chocolate with a knife and fork until the next person got a six, right? And no one, no one, I've never been able to make a single person, but everyone goes, that's not a thing that schools do. That's the thing your school did. And I'm like, there must be another school. There must be. There must be another school. That sounds like something. It's the thing where you get, it's, it's, you know, it's the, it's the Simpsons, isn't it? Would you rather be kicked, would you rather go to your room on your own or be kicked up, kicked, uh, dragged off kicking and screaming? Oh, kicking and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> the chocolate game. Keith Chegwin's naked. Is Daryl all right? No, he's just screaming into the wall. <laughs> Keith Chegwin's naked jungle. Josh, I haven't been well for a long time, all right? But I know... <laughs> I know what I saw. This is real. <laughs> Google it, listener, and then at me wherever, and we'll talk about naked jungle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've just ruined my 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 algorithm on Google, and I've googled it, and I am I am I am a changed man right now for seeing these pictures of Keith Chegwin. <laughs> my hands my hands are raised in victory. I'm right now. I'm sure Cheggers doesn't like talking about this. Probably one of the darker moments in Chegwin's. <laughs> otherwise illustrious untampered career <laughs> but um you know the point was that things used to be different i think that's what we, what we were getting at and i uh i missed the unhinged days well talking oh, the 90s talking about how things used to be different should we talk about how in the the 14th century people would solve a crime by uh, doing a play, like literally, to, <laughs> to, to <laughs> they come in a, stop everything. We're going to do a play. No guard goes. What are you doing? <laughs> Not a single guard stops. Them. Well, yeah, that is the kind of like denouement That's of this it, film, it? right? Is them all like holding people at ransom to like act out this play of what actually happened? I'm like, this is mental. The fact that like this is how they do. I get it. I get why that, like, obviously they are actors, but it's still like this is this is serious shit. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, the sheriff's there ready. I think her dad holds the sheriff back, doesn't he? And then Willem yeah. Dafoe's kind of skulking about in like a black robe. Like, is he supposed to be the De Guise, isn't he? And he's like, <laughs> just bizarre. Just and then and then it gets further bizarre when they run into the church and they have the confrontation with De Guise. Yeah, I mean... And then, yeah, there's the, and then there's the conversation of, I didn't yeah. do it. I did. I did. <laughs> but they, obviously the village, again, seems to have about 20 people in it, so I love the idea that someone from the village has, like, either gone away and come back. Have I missed anything? <laughs> yeah, so this troop of actors came to town and solved a murder, and then we lynched and burnt the guy who runs the town. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was I've just gone for a week to get some cattle. Like what what happened here? I think 
the thing I sort of um, found quite funny about them doing the play for this, uh, basically, we have to stress that they, they do the play for the second time, but this time they're like, right, everyone, listen, we're going to do it right this time. And, ever, and then they get a bigger crowd. I was like, well, yeah, yeah, cool. I've got no reason to distrust you. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of the performing arts. I'm always keen to support an independent theatre. Everyone's like skulking around and then they sort of... I guess, you know, this is the power of theatre. This time they do it right. And then even like the boys' parents are like, yeah, yeah, this isn't... Yeah, well done. Yeah, this this sounds probably like how my boy got killed. <laughs> yeah. I'm all for second chances, um, especially those profiteering over the death of my son. Uh, but yeah, you did it right this time. I'm well into this. Uh, then as Petra says, they run into the church where they have just a very sudden confrontation with the geese. And also in this scene as well, there are just some baffling editing choices. Just the camera just keeps like swooping around and then there's like three takes of the same circular motion going around the ca the characters, but it's a little bit closer each time. It felt very, you know, like I went Steven Seagal films, how he obviously edits it himself. And they do like the same cut of him poorly karate chopping like a poor stuntman, but from 17 different angles. I was like, if it, uh, if the twist is that Steven Seagal is actually the gaze the whole time, I was like, you know what, I will give this five stars right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go into the church and Paul Bettany lays it all out for the bad guy. He's like, and you've done this, and you're not going to touch me because we are in a church. I've just accused you and proved you of raping and murdering lots and lots of little boys, but you won't touch me here, mate. Yeah. Not here. Not here. <laughs> not in this church surrounded by people, even though you've done awful things already. Oh, right. <laughs> Play the church card too soon. Got stabbed. Yeah, uh, defucked around and defound out. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, chat, chat the shit, get defanged. <laughs> <laughs> what? What I love, like whilst doing some research for this, is obviously there is a moment in that kind of confrontation where you hear De Guise speaking, but what we're seeing is his lips not moving at all. I feel like the director or editor of this film has gone on to IMDb to correct something because there is a there is a section incorrectly regarded as goofs uh, that says the cinematic uh, the, the climactic cathedral showdown between Lord de Guise and Nicholas has many discontinued continuities uh, and a moment where de Guise speaks when his mouth is shut this is a deliberate <laughs> artistic styling to make the scene disturbing and disorientating it's very much like no, we, no, no, no. We, it's supposed to be like that, okay, guys. That's the that's the vibe I get from this entry. Like you're you're too dumb to realise that. I know that's how it's actually meant to be. <laughs> doubt. Uh, no, no doubt. one helps him. No one helps him. No, they they just stand and do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, Cheers, guys. Thank you. Yeah, I mean he he gets. <laughs> It's just a very bizarre confrontation from like, I mean, I wouldn't say that I found the editing disturbing more than I found it, oh, I don't know what's the word, bad. But then, as you said, Josh, he's like, right, well, uh, I'm pretty sure that he did this. I'm pretty sure that he did that. It seems quite clear that you also did this. And he's like, uh, how about no? And then he like struts out. Just, he basically jazz hands his way out. And then he turns around. And he's like, no, oh, okay, you got me. Um, <laughs> And for your sins, because he's Nicholas says like, right, this is the house of God. You can't, you can't get me here. And he says, uh, fuck you, reverse Uno card, stabs him. And then 
I think the saddest thing about Nicholas is that he just kind of like stumbles out and no one notices that he's been stabbed for about a good five minutes. Until it's too late. Until it's too late and he's just like there going... (laughs) (laughs) And for him, like, he will never know that justice has been served because he he sort of fades out and dies before uh, the now completely convinced swing voters of that town... (laughs) I've all said like, <laughs> God, I fucking love theatre. And then they lynch the geese and um, burn his castle down. And then the actors just take off Nicholas's. They take Nicholas's body with them. Like, uh, right. Well, I guess we can still we can still make Durham for the matinee. Yeah. Does that acting troupe roam from town to town? wait for one of them to die then move on to the next town <laughs> is that what they do because it seems to be what they do and then at one point he goes help me and they're all like ah, nah <laughs> now we've got to get a Durham mate come on yeah. traffic yeah, at this right. time Durham's, Durham's either really near or far away depending on where we're all from <laughs> 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 See, that would have played as like a ITV drama, right? It's like a a week by week, case by case. They pick up another waif and stray on their way to the next town, mm. and <laughs> they just get really into into solving a mystery. They help them, and then they're like, "Oh, he's dead." Yeah. It could be quite a good premise. You could have a, a guest star <laughs> each episode as the kind of. <laughs> A 1300s TV series about an acting troupe with the staff turnover of Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> or the sugar face. <laughs> yeah, it's never the same people. Um, what, we keep dying. <laughs> <laughs> and then we just go to the next town. I think we're now pitching um, medieval summer murders. <laughs> <laughs> Which I've I've always said about Midsummer Murders, you know, I've got a lot of time for it, but I don't know why anyone lives there. The house prices must be dirt fucking cheap. Because <laughs> like, it's oh, we should probably disclose that there is a weekly basis chance that you might get killed. But think about the view. <laughs> it is nice though. It is it's a nice place. I, I'd take as the long risk. as you survive. <laughs> Big caveat: if you yeah. can survive, great schools. Fantastic schools in the area. <laughs> the catchment, oh, it's a perfect catchment area. A couple of teachers have gone away for murder. <laughs> but we've no reason to suspect that any of the new teachers are murderers yet. <laughs> <laughs> Although everyone owns a pitchfork for some reason. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. I was thinking that same thing though, Petrus. I like to imagine that in some kind of like Scooby-Doo-esque fashion, they just move on to the next town, solve another murder, go to the next town, yeah, ra- solve another murder. Racking up a load of plays along the way as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, what's happening in this town? I, I, I like that. I like that idea of just like, what's going on? Let's get a free stuff. Do you know what I mean? They're like, they're basically like an improv group now. That's This is the birth of improv, right? They're kind of going like... <laughs> Say, say, say a word, say a word. What you got in your pockets? What you got in your pockets? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and scene. Like, and then they just go into it. It's kind of... Oh, okay, give, okay give, give me a place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me, give me a, your mum, give, no, yeah. give me another place. Give me another place. Come on, come on. Come on, we are uh, trying to... Vowed mother is on. so ye olde, she didn't survive <laughs> the plague. <laughs> just, whoa, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> If you go, if you go out, there's uh, there's there's tapestries. They're just uh, they're three each, three coins each, <laughs> and that will tell you all the dates of where we're gonna be. 
Um, guys, honestly, any support, really appreciate it. <laughs> Willem Dafoe <laughs> doing a bucket speech at the end. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but it's been free entry to get in, but if you, if, if you want to get out, it's going to cost you a little bit of money. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. We got we got, we got Brian Cox over here with a Romano pepper strapped to his chin to look like the devil. Like, hey, come on in. Come on in. We got a, we got a, we got a new play for you. That's, uh, he has got that big thing strapped Yeah, big dick chin. Big dick chin. At some point, he's put the Darth Maul makeup on, and one of them's gone. Nah, Not weird no enough. One believe you're the devil. No one will believe you're the devil. Big chin. <laughs> I mean, if any listeners do ever commit to buying the DVD, as we all have here, uh, there is a picture of Devil Cox on the back of the DVD. <laughs> there is. Um, I, I saw that and thought, well, I'm in for a time. Yeah. I, I love. <laughs> <laughs> I kind I I kind of like that scene, like that kind of first play that Adam and Eve they put on, because you do get that you do get a nice moment from Willem Dafoe in that when Nicholas is kind of stumbling his line, and you can see Willem Dafoe on stage like mouthing it to be like, "Come on, mm. boy, just 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 get it." Like I, I I've taken you under my wing as a, as a, as an old member of the troop. Like I, I want you to get and that 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 was kind of nice, kind of a character building moment to show their kind of bond, which the rest of the film Definitely. is just like, "Oh yeah, so they've got this bond now. They're they're just busy mates after two days." <laughs> uh, yeah, he he again. Defoe in this, he likes Nicholas way too much too soon. They spend a couple of days together. Well, they, yeah. they find out as well that Nicholas is a murderer as well. And they're all kind of like, by the end, they're like... That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's not gristle for the mail. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love it as well, because it's got quite a good cast. All of the extras and stuff, all supporting artists, all done up very muddy, very Monty Python and the Holy Grail. All of them, they've all gone, nah. Yeah. <laughs> not that. Willem, will you change your hair to be more 1300s or are you going to go for the modern long hair? Modern long hair. That's fine. That, yeah, that's that's fine. I mean, what a glorious mane of hair it is. Yeah, it's a barnet as it? well. Like very, very, very lovely stuff. I mean, you've got monk hair. You've got glorious barnet. Maybe that was part of the bond there. Some kind of like hair connection. Mm. It's like um, you're gonna kill that husband. We're gonna kill this improv. Come with me. You'll be a star. <laughs> um, it's kind of like a Chicago manager there for some reason. <laughs> you know, obviously bringing up the DVD again. Um, I dipped into a few of the special features. Obviously, this is very early DVD. This is back in the days when, you know, you didn't have a printed image on the DVD. It was just a shiny silver disc with a bit of ink on there to tell you what the film was. Um, and they did some interviews with the with the cast there. Defoe basically said he only did the he took the role um, because he heard that Paul Bettany was in the role as well and that he'd be filming in Spain. He did some, like, minimal research... Um, and then there's one snippet from the Paul Bettany portion of the interview uh, where he said, and I quote, monks are boring. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Unprompted as well. Just like, just, so Paul tells, tells us a little bit about you, the role. Monks are boring. Okay. <laughs> monks are boring, but this one rails another man's wife in a hay bale. Wow. <laughs> Did anyone get the feeling as well that Paul Bettany slipped into his character from a knight's tale at moments in this? When he's when he's getting into the acting, I was like, hey, he's got good at acting in two days. Yeah, 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 yeah. Considering like there's no teaching, there's no like there's no There's no montage, is there? Like putting him through the ringer, like And then yeah, at one point I was like, Oh, you are 
Jeffrey Chaucer from United States. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose he, he goes through... Well, I guess he gives the sermon, so he has some experience for speaking to crowds, so he's got that. But he skipped the very important stage of any actor's foundations is by putting your arms out to your side and saying, I'm a tree, which, as we all know, <laughs> are the, the, the staples of acting. So I, for one, wasn't convinced by his performance. So between this rigor mortis debacle and his ascension to the top of the acting chain, inconsistencies, 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 I was livid. <laughs> now, I mean, so with that being said i think we've covered really sort of the width and breadth of the film here um, and and british tv from about 30 years ago as well <laughs> Look, i'm just i'm just saying naked jungles coming back i've got a feeling just just three men of a similar age going the world's changed and i am not happy about it <laughs> This is how I realised I was getting old the other day. Because now on on local buses, um, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna hashtag not an ad, but you're you're a Reva bus, for example. You can just tap onto the bus now, like you can with the London Underground. And I was like, don't like that. <laughs> don't like that at all. I was like, I don't trust that. I want I want to tell the driver where I'm going. Driver, big big queue of people. Don't like that, mate. No. <laughs> Get on the bus. I just I'm just talking to the driver about contact list. So you take change. <laughs> D- Daryl's there with his coin purse that he's stolen from a young boy from a village that he's just been to. And he's like, how many shillings is it for five stops, please, driver? I know. And he said, um, you, you tap on and you tap off. And I said, I'd, I'm, I think I'm just going to go home. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't care for it. I'm, tr- I'm, I'm, I'm trying to travel to the local people in my capacity as a healer. God damn it, and you're, you, are, you are preventing me from doing this. So now I'm mute in a jail cell somewhere, um, going slowly insane. Um, and I think on that, uh, on that depressing um, bombshell about my own mortality, we will start with our Willem Dafoe de wrap-up. And we always ask the question as we begin our wrap-up, does Willem Dafoe do deface? Um, so, Josh, we go to you first. Um, was there any defaces that you clocked in the reckoning? No. Does does the crab walk count? Because that's not. He doesn't do. There's not a lot of face stuff going on in this, and there's not a lot of real emoting for him to do. So, I think. I think no. He doesn't do any defaces, but he does do the crab walk, which which makes up for it. Yeah. Yeah, very understandable. And Petros, same question. Any of the faces for you? We get a kind of interesting one when he is interrogating that woman where he's like, we get a nice, like, you know, like the pennies dropped face from him. Like, oh, oh. Like, like he's like, oh, he should be stroking his chin. Like, oh, I figured, I figured out the mystery, boy. He does a bit of that, but like, I think what this film is is a is a great kind of show on the mainstream or like a wider scale, like the physicality that he would have honed in the Wooster group, right? Like you look at the back yeah, of the DVD yeah, yeah. case or, or, or watching the film, just the way he kind of contorts his body and like does these like like splits and stuff like that. And I, I think all of that stuff is it's great, and you could see why he would have taken it on that point to, to kind of like I don't know. Psh- basically flexes avant-garde theatre muscle in like pure acting in those regards but the the, the face is kind of quite muted for for the most part he's, he's not he's not big and brash considering is he is an actor which is weird <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's not so much the face but more the body 
oh. in, in this one. It's <laughs> it's it's a, it's kind of a, a showcase for all those other sort of theatrical skills, which kind of makes you feel for maybe you know a lot of people. It might have been why they took the role as well um, to do. You know, as you said at the start, obviously actors love playing actors. Apparently, this mm. a, a tried and tested thing. But the most important rating, uh, the most important bit of business, we will attend to. Now, obviously, we don't just do uh, thumbs ups or thumbs downs here. We give our ultimate rating of the friend or the foe. So, Josh, uh, the critical question, the reckoning. The friend or the foe. So is that in terms of like whether I did or didn't like the yes. film, or are we talking about him specifically? No, are you a friend of the film or a defoe of the film? I'm a defoe of the film. I think I thought it was a little bit bland, a little bit structurally all over the place. There was definitely some ideas in there, you know, about morality and 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 you know people getting away with stuff and and that sort of stuff. But but ultimately, it fell a little bit flat. But it's nice to see a load of people who then went on to become incredibly successful and famous before they were. And uh, yeah, I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Defoe. I wouldn't be in a. I wouldn't be in a rush to do watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And Petros, you know the drill: the friend or the foe. I think the more the more I've talked about it, I've, and I, I've got to lay my cards out on the table here. I watched this in a double bill with a film earlier on in the season. Tomorrow you're gone. So, I think I was in a cloud of anything's better than this. Like, listeners will know our feelings on that film. So I, I ended up rating this three stars on, on Letterboxd. But it's a defoe from me because I have no interest in, in watching this again. And kind yeah. of to, to echo some of Josh's points, like, one of the things I was thinking is, like, do you reckon Brian Cox and Matthew McFadden discussed this film on the set of Succession? <laughs> and, and I think it does have interesting things and kind of on, like, a thematic level... You can imagine with the book and the film itself it kind of poses that question what do creators have in the the part of telling these like real world stories obviously like we're living in times like uh, fairly recently earlier this year we had like she said and stuff like that telling like an important mm. story and i guess i guess it's a you can see it's a fertile interesting ground to cover to kind of look mm. at how yeah creatives do is it right for them should they kind of be tackling and showing wider audiences these what these morality plays basically as, as the book yeah. is called so i think mm -hmm. i think there's there's an interesting idea in here it just doesn't doesn't nail the landing as as well as it should do yeah and i think i definitely echo the sentiments on both parts as well and i think ultimately it is it's a defoe from me on this one as well, I think if it wasn't for the strength of the cast just really selling this to make the film a lot more engaging, I think it would have just crumbled a bit more. I like I like you both in saying some interesting ideas. Um, it's a somewhat intriguing murder mystery. Uh, I think the pacing tends to plod along a little bit. Um, again, as you said, Josh, it takes like 45 minutes before anything kind of really starts happening with it. Mm. And I think it tries to do a little too much with its kind of philosophical ponderings on, you know, religion and morality and uh, the necessity of truth and drama and all that stuff, which, you know, I don't think it's out of place, but it's kind of like, you can't lure me in with like a, a juicy little murder mystery and then make me think. Daddy don't want to think. So it is ultimately a Defoe from me. So that is uh, three Defoes for The Reckoning. Um, so before we leave 
the these 1380 shores on our way to pastures new in durham are there any final thoughts on the movie or anything we've not discussed any other ponderings on naked jungle you want to throw out there <laughs> <laughs> no but it's just you know it's one of those uh, at least three or four cast members in this have gone on to be massive it's always good to see where this came from there's definitely a nugget of something in there it's just i thought weirdly paced weirdly structured could have been better Defoe definitely has done this for the fact that it was filmed in Spain and he lives, I think, in Italy most of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's obviously gone, oh, (laughs) don't have to fly as far or something like that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, know, I'm not unhappy I watched it. I just, just, you know, wouldn't watch it again. Yeah, exactly. And now we're all stuck with the DVD that CEX will not buy from us. (laughs) Um, So we'll we'll, we'll have to do a Twitter competition to get rid of this one, like the cursed item that it is. But with that said, as we wrap up business here, it is left for us to say, uh, Josh Allen, thank you so much for taking the time and financial commitment to talk about this film (laughs) with us today. Uh, For the listeners, uh, where can we find you on the interwebs, the socials, and all that good business? Yes, uh, well, thank you very much, first of all. So, so yes, yeah, so, so I uh, host a weekly film podcast with my co-host where we talk about underrated and underseen films. Uh, it's out every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast. It's called Just Films and That. If you search for us on uh, any social media, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, you'll find us if you just search for Just Films and That or Just Films and That pod. And I am over on Twitter as well, at Joshy McSquashy, spelled as you, as you thought it would be. Um, I won't go into <laughs> that. So, yeah, so yeah, lots of stuff out there. Uh, coming over and check us out. There's plenty of space in the podcast sphere for everybody. Uh, podcast sphere for everybody. So, yeah, and um, thanks for having me on, guys. It's been a real de-pleasure. <laughs> yes, the de-pleasure is all ours. <laughs> <laughs> amazing uh, well all the links will be down in the description as per usual but it is left for us to say I've been Daryl I've been Petros and I've been Josh and we have been getting to for you oh, money in the bank baby episode 6 there we have it in the bag uh, it is in the history books just like Keith Chegwin's Naked Jungle, I know what I saw. It's a real thing. I will not be told otherwise. But uh, do you reckon that's streaming anywhere? Do you reckon you can get that on demand? I, if that even exists on the grottiest corners of the internet, I would be shocked. <laughs> I would be shocked. Chegwin's people of. Have, have made have subpoenaed it all they've they, they've taken the tapes they've burnt them they, they've locked them in a vault <laughs> the, the cinders not even not even they've put them in a vault it's two separate things they've burnt them and then put put the remains in a vault where they belong putting the peen in subpoena um <laughs> <laughs> so you know what's you know what's worse my lingering memories of that tv show all the facts that uh You know, all three of us are now stuck with the DVD of The Reckoning. We will let you decide and reach out and tell us which you think is the worst of the two. But um, obviously, before before we get into all of that, I want to I want to scrub scrub the memory of Chegwin from my memory. So, uh, Patros, next week, what have we got coming up? Right. Well, we're 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 heading to nineteen ninety eight. We're taking a we're taking a little step back from two thousand and three, two thousand and four. As we said in this episode, the release date of this film is kind of a mystery, as is <laughs> as is the budget. 
It's a tax write-off. Renaissance <laughs> Films, we're coming for you. Um, so we are looking at the Abel Ferrara directed, I believe, I believe, the first of a kind of storied co- uh, collaboration Ooh. that Willem Dafoe and Abel Ferrara have. Yeah, with his 1998 film, New Rose Hotel, where we'll be joined by Egrain Hackett Cantabrana from the fantastic What a Scream podcast. And it's, uh, you know, two two sort of erotic thrillers in one season. What are we, insane? Um, so we've got that all to come, all to come. And uh, as ever, though, of course... We'd be absolutely, uh, we deserve our own reckoning if we didn't bring it up. But thank you, as ever, once again uh, to Matt for editing the episode. Um, you know, unlike the reckoning, there's no mystery to be found here. He keeps us in check, he makes us sound like we're not complete cadavers trying to make a few coins here to fix the wagon of this podcast. So uh, thank you for making us sound like real pros. Oh, if we, if we are the Martin and Nicholas of this podcast, then surely Matt is our twink Tom Hardy or our bollocked chin Brian Cox, really holding up the <laughs> backbone of what we're doing here, making our acting troupe the finest. He, he is the best heron I have ever heard, is Matt. And what a heron he is, flying us into a Defoe-tastic future, piloting, guiding us on the Defoe commotion train. And of course, speaking of the train, if you want to join, because there's plenty of carriages on the Defoe commotion train, there's a few ways that you can do so. Uh, Petros, you covered them at the start, but once again, how can the listeners uh, get involved, get in contact? Twitter, Instagram, at DefoeUPod. Or drop us an email, a lovely, lovely electronic mail. Oh, we'd love to read them out. Maybe we'll start doing that as things go forward. When we when we do our, we're mid season here, but when we get to our end of season wrap up, we'll we'll have a little mail bag. We'll read out your your lovely thoughts and feelings and what we're doing. So do that. And the email address is defoeupod at gmail dot com. And if you have, if your fingers aren't all all kind of gnarled up from doing all that typing of that lovely email, head on over to your podcatcher of choice and leave a five star rating and review. And if this is your first time, come on, subscribe. Get aboard the Defoe Motion train and head with us to our next station destination. Uh, amazing! So all the ways you can reach out, uh, you know, if you like what we do, let us know about it. But With that being said, it is time to embark on the next part of the journey to get to know Willem Dafoe a little better. Next week, New Rose Hotel. And as ever, we will continue to cover the highs, the lows, and all things Willem Dafoe in this dedicated Dafoe podcast, Getting Dafoe You. So we will see you next week. Thank you for listening, if you have been. And until then, until then, ta-ta for now. Getting to follow you, getting to know all about Willem. Getting to like you by watching all your films. Getting to follow you, we'll start with Heaven's Gate. And we'll watch them all.
till the present day.